Awesome, amazing. Now, the creative team, actually, Tristan uh, took the lead on that one. He's done the trailer for this week. He's done the Headspace video. He's done the students video. He's done about 478 other videos just this week alone. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Tristan. And if you are creative and if you have a need to be uh, creative and out there and express yourself, then get in touch with us because like all the other jobs and uh, roles within our community right now, we're looking to open our arms right to you if you would like to get involved, whether you're here in the building or whether you're watching online. Now, here's a question that I need to ask of you. This question is this. How many of you, hands up and at home, Comment, subscribe, like, uh, credit card details. How many of you have ever been in love? Put your hands up. Okay, there's some couples that just got married that didn't put their hands up, but that, that's so, okay. Uh, most of us, at some time or another, have been in love. Put your hand up if you can remember the first time that you were in love. Okay, some of those married couples are now looking at one another saying, it was, no, no. I remember the first time I fell in love, I was 16 years old. I was brought up in a Christian family, went to church most of my life. It was a small church, no one my age. But this one fateful summer, I was invited to go to a big event, like in a field uh, with thousands of people. And suddenly I was experiencing and exposed to Girls, girls who were my age, who were believers in Jesus, who weren't the pastor's kids, who were definitely off limits. And uh, this was like a, a thing of wonder for me. And I remember walking on the first day, the first day, walking down a path towards one of the meetings, one of the first meetings I was going to get to. It was a little bit early, all on my own because there was no one else my age in my church. And as I walked along, I saw her. There she sat perched on top of an old Ford Cortina, on the bonnet of this Ford Cortina. A girl, 16 years old, like myself, just in the full, fresh bloom of her new womanhood. And she was glorious to behold. Everything was just, just, just. Uh, she had incredible, I'm, I'm not very poetic, but she had this amazing brown, long flowing hair coming out of her, her head. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm not poetic, but I did notice her eyes. Her eyes were brown, like hazelnut. And I didn't know her name, but for me, in that moment, she became the hazelnut girl, wearing a little pretty denim skirt and uh, just like a picture. And in that moment, even though I wasn't that hot about my faith, I began to pray. And I prayed and I said, Lord God, if you can get me together with this girl, I will do anything for you. I'll take it all seriously. Please get me in with the hazelnut girl. And then, ladies and gentlemen, the first miracle of the day. The, uh, the hazelnut girl was part of a, a youth group and the rest of the youth group were playing at that point a game of frisbee. And just at the point that I walked past them, the frisbee went flying over the group, sailing over towards me. It was a high catch, and before my feet touched down, I'd flipped it back straight and true to uh, one of the people. And they say, hey, you're pretty good. Come join our group. I said, sure, okay. 
and I'm in with them and then 10 minutes later we're all walking towards this meeting. We sit down, it's in this big cattle shed. There's a thousand teenage young people and then the second miracle of the day takes place. Because they went through all the worship and it was cool and it was like bands and my goodness, I've never seen anything like this before. But then the preacher got up and the preacher got up and he said, I want you before I preach, I want you to all pray, but we're going to pray standing up. So I want everyone to stand up. Ladies and gentlemen, I was standing next to the hazelnut girl. And then he uttered these words, which were the second miracle. And God was definitely on my side that day. He said, I want you as we pray to close your eyes and I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. I'm like, oh my goodness, there is a God. And I took the hand of the hazelnut girl and with beating heart, gently, tenderly, began to sweat all over her hand. And they prayed the prayer. And then we all sat down. And then he went ahead and ruined everything. Because he preached. He preached a message. And he preached on this verse. And this verse that he read, he said that it was from the book of Romans, chapter 12. And he said this. This was his message. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everyone say living sacrifice. sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And he began to speak, and the more that he spoke, the more upset and distressed and disturbed and unnerved I became. He says, what God demands of you is that you give your life as a sacrifice, but not a sacrifice where you do it once and then you're dead and your life is over, but a sacrifice that is alive, a continual living day-to-day-to-day sacrifice. He says, imagine that you were on the front line of an army that was trying to defend the freedoms of the country that they love, and those young men and women would sacrifice themselves. And they would lay down their lives. And what did that mean? It means that their futures were now out of their hands. All their dreams were now laid in the dust. All their potential, no more uh, years ahead of them. Their ability to love, to have family, to have career, to do what they want, to to get things, to have an enjoyable life. All sacrificed for this one thing. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you not just to believe in him. He wants you not just to have an intellectual faith. He wants you to live in such a way that you sacrifice on a day-to-day basis. You sacrifice how you're going to live your life. You sacrifice your finance, your money. You sacrifice what you might have as hopes and aspirations and dreams. You sacrifice how you're going to do every aspect and element of your life on this world. Every day, not what you want, but what God wants. You are all in, 100% in. You give your life as a living sacrifice laid on the altar for God. Are you in? And I thought to myself, absolutely not. No way. This is unreasonable. I don't know if you can identify with this, but my faith at that point was what you might call a Sunday Christian. Christianity is good for Sundays. Christianity is good for when you're in church. Christianity is a nice thing to believe in, and I genuinely believed that it was true. But Christianity is something that you have as part of your life. It's an add-on to your life. It's a little bit of icing on the cake of your life. It's not fundamental. It doesn't challenge you. You live the way that everyone else lived. I was a Christian by belief and an atheist by behavior. 
And when they said, give everything for Jesus, no longer live with one foot in and one foot out, I just thought, I I can't do that. They said, give 100% of your life to God. And I just thought, that's too much. That's unreasonable. I don't even think that God wants that much of me. God just wants me to give him his dues. That I pray when it's appropriate, put a little bit of money in the offering bucket from time to time if I can spare it. But I live my life as myself. I like my life. I like my friends. I like where it's going. I've got dreams and aspirations. I do not want to give them up. But this preacher would not stop, would not shut up, kept going, making it worse. The hazelnut girl was getting farther and farther back, receding in my field of view. Until finally he says, I'm going to ask you to commit your lives to Jesus. If you're in, I want you to stand up to where you are. And you're saying to God, I am in 100% sacrificing my life to you. All over the room ones and twos and then tens and then twenties and then there's hundreds of people. The hazelnut girl, she stood up. I stayed in my seat. My arms were folded. Me and the hazelnut girl, that's as far as we went. One holding hand and that was it. Little did I know that that was the only action I was going to get for several years. But that's another story for another time. But I came away from that place dejected. And part of the reason that I was dejected, and part of the reason that I was not willing to go further with what this person had said, was it was either his mistake or it was mine. If it was my mistake, it's because I didn't hear what he was saying. It was, I didn't hear what the Bible really said. But if it was his mistake, it's because he didn't explain it properly. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain it properly to you. Because when I heard this message, I just thought, that's not right. That's too much. And if you're here as a person and you're not sure whether you're a church person or you're kind of dipping your toes into the water a little bit or you've been brought along by a friend or you think, well, you know, it's a a new start, a new year. I might just, you know, give it a look. What's the worst that can happen? You just need to know that this is about a full-on, full-body transformation of life. But it makes sense if you understand the whole thing. You see, what I had heard from that was only part of it. I'd actually missed part out, or maybe he missed it out. Because what he says is, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Everyone say, in view of God's mercy. mercy. See, this verse, it starts with the word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? Therefore, little preacher joke, but it's a good thing to remember. Now, when Paul is writing this letter, Paul was initially vehemently opposed to the church, one of the persecutors of the church, hunting down Christians and imprisoning them, but had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. Jesus was truly risen from the dead, and it blew Paul's world apart. And so he began promoting the very faith that he tried to stamp out. And what he would do is he would write to these early churches, these little enclaves of Christians gathering in homes and and underground, and now they were meeting in Rome. And his pattern of letters always went the same way. And you can read them in the New Testament today. Always the first half or the first block is about what God has done. And then the second half, the second block, is about how we live that out. And so Romans, he spends 11 chapters saying, this is what God has done. These are 
God's mercies. That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, shouldn't be destroyed, shouldn't have their lives go down the tube, but be made alive in Christ. That God loved you so much that he became a human being and lived and showed us what human life is supposed to look like. And then he dies. He overcomes suffering by suffering. He vanquishes death by dying. He takes it up in himself and then he rises from the dead. And God has called you and created you with specific intent, value, worth, and dignity. With meaning, with destiny, with love. You're not some cosmic collision of chemicals. You are created and loved before the foundation of the world in God's eyes. And he says, therefore, because of all that, then you give your life. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Now, those three words that we have in the English, in Paul's original language, in the letter that he wrote, is one Greek word. The Greek word is logikos. Logikos, which is where we get logical. In other words, Paul says, if you really know the truth of what God has done, then it's logical, reasonable, absolutely appropriate to offer everything that you have to serving him. Because anyone that loves you that much is worth giving your whole life to. You can trust him because he has given everything for you. He doesn't want your life to go down the toilet. He doesn't want to repress you. He doesn't want to deny you. He wants to release you. He wants your life to fly on wings. It's logical. And this is what the whole thrust of the messages in this letter to this group of early believers in Rome. It's basically saying this, how you think determines how you live. How you think determines how you live. My problem with the whole thing was that I was expecting someone to make me change the way I lived without changing the way that I thought. You see, my thought was, yeah, I do believe that Jesus is real, but my thought patterns, by and large, were dictated by those around me. What my friends thought, that's what I thought. What the culture told me to think, that's what I thought. And Paul comes along, the Bible comes along, and it says, you need to think about what God has done. And as you think differently, and as your thought patterns have changed, then it changes your behavior, it changes the way that you live. It then becomes rational, logical, reasonable, and absolutely appropriate for you to live in this way. But he goes on, and he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what we have here is a kind of twist because you might think, well, you know, that's fine. You, you, you don't believe what God has done. You don't necessarily ex experience and, and internalize the, the mercies of God that the Bible talks about. It's just a neutral thing. You, you, you do it, you don't do it. But Paul says, no, it's not like that. Your thinking is not neutral. It's not like, well, think for God or just, it's just normal. He says, actually, you're thinking, if you're not thinking the way that God wants you to think in a right way with the truth about who he's made you and how you've been created to be, if you don't think like that, then your thinking will be patterned by the world. That word, conform to the pattern, 
it's, uh, it's actually in Paul's writing. It's a passive tense. It's the passive present imperative. It's, it's that this is being acted on you. It's not don't conform and this is your choice. It's don't be conformed. Don't be constrained. Don't be conditioned. In other words, how you think determines how you live. But the problem is the way that we think is conditioned. We're conditioned by forces and factors that most of the time we have no awareness of. We're like a fish swimming in the ocean that doesn't realize it's in an ocean because it's all around them. And you just take it for granted. You don't realize the water that you're swimming in. You don't realize the air that you're breathing because it's all around you. And Paul has come upon a fundamental truth of the human condition, that all of us are conditioned to think in ways that we don't necessarily understand are dictated by outside forces. That we have these, these, these forces that act upon us. The way that our brains work, let's just take a little look at the brain. This is going to get a little bit freaky. But here's a, a cool 3D model of the brain. And our brain has around about 100 billion neurons in, in our brain. It's the most incredible uh, piece of uh, physical being. It's amazing. And each of these 100 billion neurons are capable of con uh, connecting 10,000 different ways. They can make 10,000 different connections with other neurons. But what happens is when you think a certain way, you lay down neural paths. The neurons connect with one another. And the more that you think something, the more you're exposed to that kind of pattern of thinking, the more that these connections start to solidify. First of all, it's a chemical bond that makes them. But in time, the neurons themselves, they change in structure. And you get systemic structural changes in your brain. You get certain ways that you start to think automatically. A little bit like when you first learn to tie your shoelaces. It's a challenge when you're a kid and the bunny's got to go around the tree and down a hole and chase the fox. Or maybe the fox is chasing the bunny. I can't even remember. Because after a while, it just becomes automatic. The more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that Thought. The more you think something, the easier it is to fall into that pattern. That's why we get conditioned. And the thing about conditioning is that most of the time we don't even realize that it is happening. It's just that these lines of track get laid in our brains. And before you know it, it makes more and more and more and more sense. That's why people get into conspiracy theories. Put your hand up. How many here, put your hand up, have a friend or you know someone that is into conspiracy theories? Okay, quite a few of you. I met a guy uh, the other day, it was a couple of months ago, on Park Street. He had a big bullhorn in his hand and he was shouting and creating such a ruckus and such a fuss. And actually, I just wanted him to stop shouting down the bullhorn because it was getting on my uh, nerves. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, what's your deal? And he says, I'm protesting against the lockdown. And there was a whole bunch of them together. It was like, you know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen. I'm protesting against the lockdown. Why are you doing that? He says, um, coronavirus is a fake. I said, how, how, how do you know that? He says, well, you should read the leaflet. Well, I don't want to read your leaflet. Um, you know, I, I, I can read the news. Oh, you read the news. The lamestream media. They're in it. They are in it. It's a big conspiracy. He says, we've been down to the BRI, the hospital. It's empty. There's no one there, man. I'm like, did they actually let you in? No, but you can tell. There's no one there. 
I said, well, what's, what's the deal? Why is it a conspiracy? Money? Well, why? Big Pharma? Okay, fine, calm down. Why? What are people doing? The big reset. What's the big reset? They want, the governments of the world, want the whole world to go carbon neutral. They want to get rid of the carbon. I said, that sounds like a good thing. He says, do you know what the carbon is? I said, no. The carbon is you and me. And I'm like, okay. Choo-choo. All aboard the crazy train. I'm going to go and get my lunch now. Thank you, you crazy madman. Uh, but the thing is that he wasn't a crazy madman. He was a regular guy. He could have been any one of us in different circumstances. But psychologists will tell you that the more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. So if you have a thought that you have nurtured, maybe since childhood, that the world is not fair, that people have an unfair advantage over you, if you feel disenfranchised, if you feel like things outside of your control have made your life too hard to bear, you've already laid down track. And then if someone else tells you, well, I heard this thing, and you like that person, then a bit more of a connection becomes uh, solidified. And before you know it, you're being conditioned. You go on Facebook. You look up a certain video. And then the algorithm, the great algorithm, says, right, let's give you, let's pump you, let's flood you, let's fill you. And before you know it, you think, well, it's all over the place. There's so many people. Everyone agrees with this. Everyone knows this stuff. And before you know it, you've got a super highway in your brain that makes you disposed towards this kind of stuff. Now you say to me, well, fine, yeah, I, I, I guess, but not me. I don't go for conspiracy theorists. I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I am my own person. And I say, really? Really? How many of us can honestly say that? The fact of the matter is that we are conditioned by our culture. Remember the first time that I went to, to Jordan, I was just shocked. I was in Amman, I went to a restaurant, everyone's smoking. I say to the people that we're going with, why is everyone behaving like this? They say, behaving like what? Everyone's smoking in a restaurant. And uh, they said, what's, what's your problem? What's the deal, Neil? And I said, it, 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 well, I guess it's, it's just not what I expected. And they said, it's perfectly normal, perfectly fine. Look, 10-year-old kids. And uh, in that culture, that's just what they did. They were all living for the weekend, Thursday night. Because different culture, different norms, different expectations. And so Paul is saying, don't be conformed. You need to take a look at your unexamined biases. We need to look at things like social media. The fact is that if you're 20 years old or 30 years old, you likely, if you're average in the UK, you likely watch uh, six hours worth of screen time. In fact, some of you are on your phones right now. I can see the light. Uh, we, we are just taken in all the time by the devices that we have in our pockets. And they condition us. They rewire our brains. You get a dopamine hit when you get that like or when you can get that buzz or you get that notification. We spend all this time just scrolling through endless stuff, being just impacted and uh, hit upon by messages. And uh, it would be great if they were totally neutral. But actually, there's always an agenda. Next week, next one, number two, Sam is going to take us through an examination of social media. Because if you get something for free, 
If you're not paying for it, you're the product. And people are making money out of us, and so they're manipulating the way that our brain works to grab a hold of more and more of our thought patterns. And Paul says, it's not neutral. It's not just like a level playing field where you've got people that believe in God, and then you've got everyone else that's just normal. Actually, there are forces and thought patterns and schemes and ways of thinking and worldviews and paradigms that act upon you. And most of the time, we don't even question them. We don't question materialism. Everything that matters is matter. Materialism. Materialism that says cash is king. Materialism that says you've got to serve that master of money. Materialism that causes more breakups in relationships than any other single factor. That causes worry and anxiety. That causes greed. And that, that motivates us sometimes to do things that we don't want to do just because the money is good. And I'm not condemning that or critiquing that, but I'm just saying it's worth thinking about. Because our mindsets and the way that we live as a result is conditioned so much of the time. The way we think about sex. Anyone that comes up with a different mindset or a different scheme, different pan, different thought process about how you do sex is immediately cast as the villain. But we have a very uh, kind of sex-saturated society that says, it's just physical. Swipe right, use anyone that you want. That, that, that porn is very, very much normalized. We don't want to think about people being abused or used. We don't want to think about people being objectified or worse than that, trafficked or uh, just badly handled in any way possible. We just want to think it's, it's all pleasure, it's all fun. Just don't be so uptight. And that's fine, but you've got to say, what is the result of that? How is that thinking causing us to live? We're conditioned. We're conditioned in so many ways. We don't know the water that we're swimming in. But this is where Paul says, but it's not the end. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can have your mind renewed. So, like we say, how you think determines how you live. And right now it's conditioned, but it can be renewed. You can have your thinking renewed. And that is the great Christian hope. So if you, again, if you're here not sure about faith or thinking about re-engaging with faith or, or just thinking, do I go forward with my faith? The big thing that you need to know is that faith in Jesus isn't just a matter of going to church on a Sunday, but it is about a rewiring and a renewing of your mind, your thought patterns, so that you're transformed into the person that you're supposed to be. It says that the brain is plastic. And even though you might have certain super highways in your thinking and in your mind, that there is, a, uh, uh, there is an offer that comes from God himself that can help me be new in my thinking. And it might just be, you know, I, I'm materialistic or I'm racist or I'm sexist or I'm prone to addiction or I can't stop these behaviors. The Bible says you can be transformed. You can be renewed. And it might be that uh, with faith, we need time and space to think things through. As a church, we want people to know about Jesus. We absolutely do. But we don't expect you to just come and take it as a blind leap of faith. Actually, what we do is we allow the space for people to question. 
We allow the space for doubt. We allow the space for exploration. We allow the space for you to find out for yourself. Is this real? To have your mind just challenged so you can see, actually, is the track that I'm on the right one or do I need a rethink? And that's what things like Alpha do. We've got an Alpha course starting a week on Wednesday. It just gives people a chance over 10 weeks uh, with a, a meal and a talk and some opportunity in groups to question, to discuss. No question's too easy. No question is too hard. But what we have is the opportunity to be rewired, to be renewed, to be recreated. I was telling uh, a friend of mine, dear friend, we just went on a walk and I said, this is what I'm going to speak on, on Sunday. I'm going to tell people that how you think determines the way that you live. And we're all conditioned, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not. We're all part of the same cultural stew. We're all prone to consumerism and materialistic mindsets and, and deep ingrained prejudices and fears and anxieties and worries and traumas in our life. We can be triggered because we've all got these thought patterns. But God wants us to renew our minds. He offers us transformation by being renewed. And he said to me, but Philip, how do you know that what you are offering to people and what the Bible is offering to people is the right thing? How do you know that that's not just another thought pattern that is false or that is an institutional religious imposition on people's freedoms? How do you know that you're not? I mean, people always think that the church is brainwashing people. How do you know that it's true? I said, ah, easy. This is a simple one. It is easy. The proof is in the pudding. You know that it's true and you know that it's right because it works. And so this is what Paul says. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. In other words, as our minds and our thinking is changed, it changes the way that we live. And then we'll be able to test and approve. And just like the therefore points back to something that we're taking as a basis and foundation for our new thinking, the then points forward to a new reality. He's saying you're going to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but then you'll test, you'll be able to prove, you'll see it. The proof is in the pudding. You'll be able to experience that God's will is good and God's will is perfect. Think about it. I mentioned sex, and Kate's going to be talking about sex in uh, about four weeks, so sign up for that one. She's amazing on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, my mind just lost focus. Where were we? Church, okay. Sex. You live a certain way, you have all the apps, you swipe as much as you like, consequence free, no strings attached, just a bit of fun, just a bit of, and then you work out, how does that work out for you? How did that play out? So many of us left broken, feeling used, feeling uh, like we carry baggage around with us, and not getting the thing that we want, which is ultimately not just a bit of pleasure for a night, but a love for a lifetime. And then you think about what happens when God's will uh, is, is proved in your life. And this is the, 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 the offer 
that God gives us. He says, listen, I've done everything for you because I love you so much. Now, the most logical, rational, reasonable thing that you can do is to give all of your life to me because I've got destiny for you, because I've got purpose for you. And as you do that, then you'll know how good it is. Then you'll be able to see for yourself. You'll be able to experience it firsthand how good it is. So I'm 16 years old, and it's two months after Hazelnut Girl Gate. And I am back home. And uh, that whole thing has still been a disturbance to me, and it's still upset me. But I remember thinking, well, you know, maybe I should look at this again, because I don't feel right about being the person that says, no, God, you can't have my life. I'm not even sure that's a very good position to hold. And so I'm just reading the Bible, and I'm doing it because I want to, not because I'm in some Christian service. But I remember I'm in my bedroom, and I'm kneeling on the floor, and I'm, I, I'm just, I have my, my, my arms and my head just kneeling against and leaning against the bed. And I'm reading, and I begin to read about God's love for me. And it's like suddenly neurons are firing in my brain. And it's almost like I see it for the first time time for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and I begin to think God loves me so much and I remember something that someone once told me they said if you were the only person on planet earth Jesus would still die for you but of course if you were the only person on planet earth then you'd be the one nailing the, uh, the, the nail into his hand and yet he would still do it and I remember just being, suddenly it was like rewiring in my brain. Because you know, the renewing of your mind isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's actually a spiritual encounter with God. It's something that is transcendent. It's not just, well, I've listened to this and the arguments hold water. That's all important. But there's something more. There's something that is ethereal and, and, and something that is mystical and something that is powerful. And I remember just these, these things suddenly come into focus for me. And, and the tears are streaming down my face face and, and part of it is because oh my goodness he loves me so much love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all and part of the tears are for that and part of the tears are for myself because I know that when I make this move my life is not going to be the same ever again and I'm imagining that it's going to be difficult and challenging and that I'm not going to enjoy it but what I experience and what I've experienced from that day till now is that I've been able to test and approve and his will is good and it works in every area of life and there's a peace in my heart and there's an experience of joy that has permeated everything from work through to family through to love through to children through to uh, my experience of money and being able to be generous with money we'll talk about that week three my identity and finding my identity in a culture where identity is challenged all the time and so many of us feel pressure on ourselves to generate a sense of worth we just don't have within us but I've experienced the good pleasing perfect will of God and I can say 
that it's worth joining the resistance because that is what it is. It's a resistance that says, I'm not going to be conformed to the pattern that culture around puts on me. There's plenty of good things that I'll take from it, but I'm going to critique it and I'm going to look at the end results. I'm going to say, actually, if Jesus has a better way of life for me, then I want to experience that. And if his spirit can rewire and renew and take away old thought patterns and deliver me from addictions and brokenness and, and ways of thinking that are, are triggered by and, and, and brokenness, then I want to have all of that. I'm going to pray in just a minute. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pray a prayer with you guys that I prayed uh, that day when I was uh, just kneeling by my bed. And for some of you, this would be a prayer that you've prayed for the very first time. It's a prayer dedicating yourself and committing your life to Jesus Christ. For others of you, it's a prayer that you've maybe prayed many times before, but tonight is a moment for you to recommit, rededicate your life to Jesus. And for others, this is going to be just a moment of destiny. I'm going to give you the prayer, and the best way that I can put it is just an A, B, and a C. A, you admit that you need God, that you're broken without him, that you've messed up. Something that we can all agree to. B, you believe. You take him at his word. You believe that he loves you so much that he gave his life for you, rose again from the dead. And then C, you commit the thing I wasn't willing to do then uh, with the hazelnut girl, I did it in my bedroom. I committed my life to Jesus and I've never looked back. And you just say, God, I'll give you my life in all my weakness, in all my challenge. As you give me strength, if you help me forward, I'll go do this for you. So we're gonna pray, but here's just the big idea for you, something to take away with. How you think determines how you live. Our lives <laughs> are transformed as we let God's truth rewire and renew our old thinking. Let's pray, just uh, close your eyes. If you're not into this, then that's fine. Just keep your eyes closed and enjoy a little bit of space. But what I'd love to do is I'd love to pray a prayer, a prayer of commitment to Christ tonight. And what I'd encourage you to do is just to pray this prayer along with me. I want you to internalize it as I pray. I want you just to um, repeat the words as I go through them a bit at a time and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up at the end. But if this is uh, you, then you pray this prayer with me. Maybe for the first time, maybe as an act of rededication. You can pray it in the room, you can pray it online, wherever you are. But this is the prayer. Prayer goes like this. Dear God, just pray this prayer after me in your own mind. Dear God, you know my life. You know what I've been through. You know what I'm looking for. Forgive me for the ways that I've messed up, where I've let myself down, where I've let others down. I don't understand everything, but I'm willing to believe that you love me. Thank you for living for me, for dying for me, for rising again for me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Change me from the inside out. I offer myself to you now. In the name of Jesus.
just while everyone's got their eyes closed. If you pray that prayer, I'd love to pray with you and pray that God really takes you at your word. So just so I know that you've prayed and just so that you are able to make a physical symbol of what's happened inside you this evening. If you prayed that prayer, just want you to put your hand up and then I'll pray for you. Fantastic, thank you. Brilliant. Anyone else want to join these guys? Great. Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every single individual that prayed this prayer. Lord, I know that you love them and I know that you take them at their word. And I pray now in the name of Jesus, whether this is a recommitment or whether this is the first time they've consciously asked you to come into their lives, I pray that you do exactly that. I pray that they be filled with the Spirit. I pray that they would know you transforming them from the inside out. And I pray that you would walk with them from this moment forward in Jesus' name. I'm just going to pray a general prayer for, for the rest of us. Lord God, would you help us? Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to be able to create spaces where people can uh, think new thoughts, to be transformed and be made like you, to experience your goodness and your love. I pray, Lord, that you would just join us together and make us stronger and stronger as a community that serves you. And I want to pray, Lord God, for this series, I pray that we would just bring along our friends, that we'd invite more people in, and that we would share this message, a radical message of a resistance that challenges the status quo, that rails against the expectations that are unfair, unhealthy, and broken, and allows us to be our best and fullest selves in Jesus' name. Amen.